0: You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Thank
1: You for Your Servers, a show which looks at the tech news of today, but from a libertarian perspective. Now, here are your hosts, Thaddeus and Gary. Thank you for logging on to Thank You for Your Servers. This is episode eight, 17? 17. Wow, are we that far, Gary?
0: We're that far, yeah.
1: Holy cow. Oh, man. I thought we would have given up by now. Uh, that is that is the voice of Gary Guthrie, my brother from another mother. <laughs> I am Thaddeus Preston, a.k.a. Nick Way. And this is our almost weekly rants about the tech topics from a Liberty-ish perspective. This and other podcasts are brought to you by the MLGA Network of Podcasts. So let's get to it. First things first, this is going to be a Microsoft love fest for the first half of the show <laughs> because this week was Microsoft Ignite. It is a conference that takes place, I guess this year it took place in Orlando, Florida. And uh, we're going to basically use as our source material here a TechCrunch article that kind of highlighted some a seven they they highlighted seven of the best highlights to come out of uh, this conference. Um, this is a little this is kind of I don't know what I would you call this an extension of the Build conference? The Build conference is more kind of maybe developer focused though it seems like all tech conferences are developer focused particularly when we kind of get into the roots of the, the the meat of a lot of these i guess announcements uh this this one had some pretty meaty announcements um that where the rubber meets the road here like when people want to get work done i think microsoft is moving into the ibm territory of becoming the go-to office Uh, productivity enterprise play and the adage that no one ever got fired for buying IBM. It's like no one's ever going to get fired for buying a Microsoft enterprise solution. Um, So let's get into, I guess, some of the things that were announced. Um, This thing called uh, Azure Arc. So as described here, I think a lot of enterprises uh, in this day and age have kind of hybrid deployments when it comes to their cloud infrastructure. Um, Some are across multiple vendors. Um, You may use Kubernetes on Google, you may use AWS for storage, you may use IBM or Oracle for something else. So what Arc allows you to do um, is it allows you to manage these resources from Azure um, and it allows you to integrate a lot of the features of competitors in their in the in the space that Microsoft Azure is in. Um, so that's AWS and Google Cloud. Uh, it'll work on Windows or Linux servers um, as well as Kubernetes clusters. a Concept I still quite don't understand yet, um, but that has something to do with microservices and Docker. But I digress. Um, this is kind of a big deal uh, in the sense that like now they want to be kind of the go-to. Player, right? I think the way enterprise management works now is you might want to just choose a technology that you will stick with that will allow you to do the things that once IT departments did. Um, in this instance, you really want—they really want right. to be an operating system and or a a stack above all these kind of hybrid cloud uh, solutions. So if it just so happens if you just like to use Kubernetes on Google to manage microservices, as well as using uh, S3 for storage um, and backup, um, and maybe even using another provider for some other service that you think is is worthy, you can piece all these together. What Microsoft wants to offer you is they want to offer you one tool to manage and orchestrate all of this. I think it's smart.
0: Yeah. And, you know, Microsoft's been doing that. They've been going down this path, not just on the, the architecture, the development side, but also on the business side as well. You know, Flow, I think, is one of the most underrated or ignored tools that can really empower business to, you know... Hook into all of these other services and all of these other subscriptions that they that they may be using. You know, we use in our development environment we use Jira for task management, and we use Spiceworks for uh, ticketing. We use you know there's a bunch of different services we use, and not only you know you can easily with Flow create these these integrated solutions on the logical side. You know, you're talking all this uh, on the development and architecture side, but I mean, Microsoft's no new player to this kind of paradigm. And I think I agree with you. I think it's smart and I think it's, uh, you know, empowering businesses to basically choose their solution is uh, a
1: beautiful thing. Um, This is antithetical to what Microsoft used to be.
0: Well, and it's antithetical to what Apple does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is true. You know, all right. I don't.
1: <laughs> I don't understand why there are so many fanboys out there in the development environments that use um, MacBooks. Um, now, granted, they on the on maybe on the computer laptop. I guess we can't say PC side, but let's just say PC side of things. Yeah, they're 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 better at things, but like when it comes to their other products, um, most notably iPads, iPods, iPhones, um, yeah, they're trying to lock you in, and um, yeah, and I think Microsoft, while still keeping its toe in the consumer space, and we'll kind of go over some of their uh, latest hardware, um, and of course Xbox, wildly successful. Um, they are uh, when it comes to the one of their core competencies which was you know a software company that offers software for doing stuff and getting stuff done Um, so like I guess kind of to piggyback off of your love of Flow because I also think Flow is a pretty cool like product Uh, one of their other announcements was something called uh, Power Virtual Agents Um, so this is kind of Microsoft's new kind of no code, low code tool to build chatbots. Now, chatbots have kind of fallen out of favor because there was this, there was a, there was a chatbot hype cycle, I guess, a couple of years ago, and mm-hmm. come to find out, like they these chatbots really did suck. And in companies that did integrate chatbots into their uh, messaging, um, I think uh, what is it? I think Messenger tried this. Uh, 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 Facebook Messenger tried this. It was more annoying that it was useful. And so, yeah, I, I think these kind of tools, they, they're going to leverage uh, Azure's uh, machine learning smarts uh, and they're going to create these kind of chat bots that, um, uh, that are going to help you just kind of, you can just kind of spin one of these, be- program one of these up, spin one of these up and just deploy them. Um, and this is going to be more toward the enterprise uh, uh, when it comes to really just, uh, you know, uh, deploying these to do intelligent things on the enterprise. And that kind of also dovetails into this project, uh, this Cortex. And Cortex was just going to be this other tool um, that's going to definitely leverage. If you are a consumer of Outlook, Teams, and Office apps, uh, Cortex is going to allow, is going to be unleashed on your enterprise to basically surface information. So it's going to, create knowledge networks within your company. You're going to utilize machine Mm -hmm. learning. It's going to allow you to uh, – it's going to analyze all the documents that you have on your your, uh, uh, infrastructure, uh, basically, uh, in your various repositories, even third-party stuff. So I assume it will integrate with other things other than um, Outlook or Teams or whatever. I could see this integrating with Slack if necessary. And basically, it's going to just – kind of allow you to just kind of surface information um and so if you're proactively if you're work if you're actively working in in a on a project and stuff like that it's gonna it's gonna surface all this information this disparate information spread across your enterprise so I I for one run into this a lot in our enterprise is because sometimes when you're trying to develop a new procedure sometimes you're trying to develop a new, um, you're trying to create a new control system and stuff like that. You need to look at like previous documentation and it's kind of hard across mm-hmm. the enterprise to figure out like, well, who's done this before? Is there a program that did this before? Um, we're migrating from uh, a, a Fortran program for the transforms and waveforms that we need to do to this more MATLAB, LabVIEW-based program. Where can I grab those artifacts, Right. Um, they're going to be sure. word documents. They're going to be spreadsheets. Um, they're going to be, um, you know, in a lot of instances, they're going to be. Uh, we use this kind of proprietary code um, for I forgot the name of the tool because we were since retired it. But you used to be able to run these routines within this command line tool that allows you to like take a take a waveform ingest that. Um, ingested in the form of a of an array. Not to get too technical, people, and like do transforms on that, right? Like um, um, multiply it by ten, or or multiply it, or 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 do a uh, a derivative of it, or something like that. Those those are all that information. All that kind of art. These artifacts are just spread across all enterprises, and sometimes you just need the ability to just be like, hey, I need to update this control system. Can you surface to me probably everything I need to know about it um, from schematics, electrical drawings, you know, AutoCAD stuff and whatever. I, I, I'm more, I'm most excited about this. This is cool because it's just like.
0: It, that's going to be super helpful because I don't care how good a company is. And I've worked for teeny, teeny companies. I've worked for big, gigantic companies. And I don't care what size you are, how good you have your controls in place for dar- uh, Documentation and artifacts and test results, and all that. None of them have ever been able to pull it together in a way that you can easily access the <clears> repository <throat> and deal with it.
1: Yeah. So, uh, jumping on top of more enterprise tools, especially enterprise management tools. So, Microsoft, I guess, is now combining its config manager and Intune services. Uh, I guess they allow enterprises to manage PC, laptops, phones, tablets and other types of devices. Uh, it'll now be this cloud-based management tool. Um, so in a, basically, uh, in a world where kind of employees like to kind of bring their own devices, um, they use multiple devices and, you know, they're, they're, which means they're constant vectors for attack on your infrastructure. Yep. Um, the ability to kind of bring all that stuff in-house, manage it um, from a cloud-based management uh, platform Uh, I guess there was, I guess Intune was always a a cloud-based management platform for phones. Um, And I guess Config Mm -hmm. Manager was for PCs. I guess we're basically kind of combining that together to create, you know, this endpoint manager. And IT departments, again, are going to rejoice. Users may balk, but um, this is good, right? I mean, there's a lot of you know, industrial espionage. There's a lot of information right. um, There's a lot of viruses. There's a lot of uh, ransomware. There's, what there's a lot be, of vectors of attack. What would be
0: r- really helpful, you know, w- one of the struggles that we have as a small company is, you know, you just mentioned bring your own device. And, you know, it would be great to free up the overhead of having to go to each device, you know, if it's going to be, accessing sensitive data or whatever going through and managing it just say hey you know what subscribe to our security set you know click a thing say allow to apply to my device now you can access my stuff using your device and i have the security to know that you're not going to be injecting something weird you know yeah that would be very very helpful yeah. And it would empower, you know, it would empower us from a cost standpoint too. And, uh, and from a, you know, we have a lot of uh, independent contractors in our sales department and I don't know what device they're using, you know, so I have to lock things down logically at the application layer, which, re- which involves coding changes and it involves builds and, you know, all this crazy stuff. It, it would be great to be able to manage that.
1: Yeah, no. And so, I mean, and even the C- Microsoft CEO was very excited about it and thought that it was one of the more important important announcements to come out of uh, the conference this year. Uh, next thing uh, that was a big deal according to TechCrunch here was uh, Microsoft's Chromium-based version of Edge uh, will be available at the beginning of the year. Uh, we're toward the end of 2019, so 2020. Uh, January 15th being that availability date. Um basically, you know, much more enhanced privacy features. It's Chromium based, which means the previous engine that was Internet that Internet Explorer did run on will uh I I guess for now for the foreseeable future, we're not gonna get rid of Internet Explorer right away, but it definitely concedes in the in the world of um uh browser engines, it just definitely concedes Chrome Chrome one. Right? I mean even absolutely even if it's chromium which is the open source version of chrome um
0: it's still the same it's, engine it's still the same I mean engine i
1: think web i think it's i think it's, is it a webkit <laughs> i thought it was just webkit and that they just you know and chromium is based on webkit uh, safari is based on webkit i think chromium yeah chromium yeah i think i think the the only difference between chromium and chrome is chrome branched or basically uh, branched off of uh, webkit and just basically you know, added some googly features to the Chrome browser. But at the end of the day, yeah, Chrome won, man. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely.
0: And you know what, this is gonna be fantastic. You know, last week we talked about uh, ADA and uh, accessibility compliance. This is going to make that much more achievable because there's gonna be standard behaviors amongst the browsers now instead of, you know, okay, well doing all these crazy checks. I mean, I don't know if you did any web programming back in the internet explorer six days, but it was the biggest nightmare you could ever deal with. You know, you had to have all these exceptions based on not only what browser you had, but what version of that browser you had to make sure that you inject, you know, the correct CSS or the correct JavaScript or whatever it is this is going you know i'm i'm so happy that google won this yeah
1: you're right and then i like i mean even for when it, it it really does help when industry without any sort of outside coercion from the government or from some bureaucratic body can come to a consensus when it comes to a standard I mean the same thing we're starting to see the same thing when it came to like uh html 5 video right it took a bit right but we eventually got there and i think this is just yo know, proof positive that like yeah i mean microsoft is being a much more pragmatic company and like we should try to better play with others when it comes to these kind of edge technologies but sure.
0: Yeah. And we sh- and we should be humble, too. I mean, if if something comes along and the market says we're going this way, whether you like it or not, accept it, embrace it, which is what Microsoft is.
1: Yeah. And you can it. build proprietary hooks uh, that, that add value that you can only get on Azure. You can build those proprietary hooks in at a higher level of the stack. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what this, that's what Azure Arc is going to really be about, particularly when it came to, you know, managing your enterprise cloud infrastructure. Um, so, right. yeah, I, it, again, this is one of these things where it's funny, me and you can remember, are old enough to remember when Microsoft was pretty much utterly villainized for everything they did and everything. everything. Um, it's kind of like the thanks Obama of the '90s, right? Like you, you know, your your uh, what is it? Your uh, Firefox browser crashes. Thanks Microsoft, you know, or or right. or, or like you, or you're, <laughs> or you're typing an email and like you know you kick you kick uh, you kick the you know, desktop into crashes or whatever stuff like that. Yeah, thanks Microsoft, you know. I mean, it's kind of one of those. It's kind of like that. Now it's like it's really like somebody of kind of the uh, kind of tangential technologies of microsoft technologies i use particularly at work i'm like thanks microsoft i mean because it's 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 been so helpful and they've been better at this now i don't like the office 360 crap that kind of bugs me um sometimes i just want to be like hey man let me why don't we just buy everything and just like deploy it out i mean we can get enterprise licenses and stuff we run into a lot of that with a lot of our kind of virtual machines
0: See, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the exact opposite on that. I love Office 365. It, it's allowed me with a really small IT department just to say, log in, install it, done. You know, I don't have to deal with licensing. I don't have to, as long as my subscriptions are solid, I don't have to worry about any of that. So, I love Microsoft Office 365.
1: Yeah, it's just funny. We, it's just, we get the the heaviness of an install in a virtual machine, and it's very, very difficult on a virtual machine that is not connected to the internet specifically because these virtual machines run critical software that con- talks to control systems and So
0: you're you're in an air-gapped environment there. Yeah
1: and so like the, makes uh, the, it uh, very the authentication yeah. is is different um you, sometimes we need to go in and edit CSVs and we can't because um oh no we haven't activated you know Microsoft 365 Excel for Excel right and it's like oh well, no I I need, no, I, I need to edit this file and and so we have to, right. we have to, we have this really <laughs> weird workaround where we have to like call a number and so it's dumb, um but still I mean that's we're a real weird edge case. The rest of the world thinks this is right. fine, right? And so yeah, yeah, and, and it is to be honest. Um, particularly when it becomes it's becoming much more apparent that like IT uh, as a job. Right is going to be automated and automated more. As it, it, it's funny, then I mean, the complexity of of your network and your enterprise, everything is is much more complex. Um, particularly when you're having to deal with microservices, that's the Kubernetes thing. Um, when you're having to deal with you know all these edge devices, particularly as IoT becomes a bigger and bigger thing, um, it's become much more complicated. So that the tools that an IT professional needs. Um, you know, um, anything that, that takes that burden off of the IT, you know, professional and uses machine learning and just a abstraction layer of the stack that allows you to manage all these things is going to be a good, is going to be a big deal. Um, the the other announcements here, Cortana lives. Um, it's going to be, it's now going to include a male voice. Uh, good, I guess. I don't know. Um. I prefer. I prefer uh, female. Yeah, it never bothers me. I prefer yeah. female voices personally, but I mean, it is what it is. Um, they're going to start kind of integrating more and more of Cortana, of course, its digital assistant, into its productivity tools. Um, I think one of the first, one of the things I'm pretty excited about is like, so they ha- there's Outlook uh, for iOS. Uh, they're There soon be for Android. I actually really need to download um, Outlook on my Android um, because I do. I am getting a lot of stuff that comes into Um, Outlook that isn't forwarding over to my Gmail account anymore and so sometimes Mm -hmm. I really need there's actually some time critical things some things that actually come into the Outlook account which used to be my old MSN account that I I don't really use as much Um, but now Cortana will be able to read a summary of said things in your inbox man Um, you know flag emails delete stuff dictate answers so and they're going to build that into not only the iOS app but the Android app so they're your Cortana will uh, be on Android. And so that will be, Mm. that's going to be pretty interesting. And yeah, it's going to become your digital assistant within Outlook, which includes things like calendars and, you know, um, email messages in general. And so I might try that out because that actually seems pretty interesting.
0: Um, It's yeah, it sounds kind of cool. I don't know. I, I, every time you know, there's always talk of more injection of personal assistance and stuff. Maybe I'm just more old fashioned. I just don't, you know, I'll use it for some basic stuff, Yeah. but on my laptop, you know, I got my mouse, I can click and it's just, I don't know. Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm hit or miss with a lot of digital assistant stuff. Um, sometimes it just kind of gets in the way. Other times it's quicker just to type it in. Um, So, and then I, but that'll, that's going to change over the next couple of years as they push more um, inference kind of uh, machine learning stuff on more to the edge. Um, So, I mean, a lot of these newer phones that are newer than ours have like inference chips built into the overall die of whatever processor we use, particularly if we use it, particularly if your phone uses a Qualcomm chip. And so that's going to allow more and more, that's going to basically, basically increase the responsiveness of these digital assistants because they can do inference on board. Um, so they'll have to talk less back to the cloud. I wonder if the Cortana updates that are, that are now starting to integrate into their other products is going to make that more possible. But, you know, I mean, that's interesting stuff. I think, again, you know, they're pushing more of the Cortana stuff for the enterprise. They don't, necessarily, I don't think, I wouldn't say they've surrendered the consumer market, but I think that's not where their bread and butter is. Um, and this is, like I said, as Microsoft as a whole moves to a more enterprise-focused company, I think that that's um, yeah, a pretty cool announcement. And lastly, the thing, well, no, I guess not lastly, but I mean, last of the seven things um, was basically uh, Microsoft's web-based version of Visual Studio. So I think we had Mm -hmm. talked about this when we discussed Build earlier um, in previous episodes. Um, They they announced that they would soon launch a web-based Visual Studio development environment, right? Um, Yep. And so basically taking all they've learned from Visual Studio Code, which hands down the best free code editor in existence, um, full stop. Um, So basically they're going to integrate... Uh, this new Visual Studio Code web-based environment with GitHub, which is another Microsoft company, and I have been introduced over the last couple of weeks because we've needed to find a new code repository kind of uh, uh, working environment that isn't a isn't a proprietary version of that that we ran in our own little cloud, our own little um, basically enterprise uh, network. Um, we've we lost an old. We lost the server that the old version was running on. We then had to install a new version of this. Apparently, we were running a version that was almost a decade old, um, so, and so we lost a lot of functionality. One thing, meaning we lost a lot of licenses and seats. Um, right. And so, yeah. and so, So, we discovered that um, at my at Sandia National Laboratories, we actually have a GitLab instance installed on the enterprise that they manage and run and so we've been really playing around with get um over the last couple of weeks and i've as i there's some quirkiness about it i i you have to get over you have to understand a lot of the terminology um as opposed to check it, it, the old system that we had with more of a checkout check-in kind of like uh sharepoint this is kind of like you know Commits and pushes, pulls and fetches, merges and stuff, and you really and you know branches, and so you got to kind of understand that terminology, and kind of integrate it into our workflow. But Git, right? Um, once you understand what's going on, it's it's a phenomenal thing. I there's a reason why Microsoft bought GitHub, um, which is, which implements Git. Um, and they will then now integrate this much, much, much closely with Visual Studio. I mean, if you already get Visual Studio already, right? If, you know, um, if you're if you work in an enterprise where you have you know you know this license for Visual Studio and stuff, you can already integrate with GitHub anyway, um, or any GitLab's instance. And you're
0: it's almost silly not to. I mean, there's so much available and there's so much power behind it. I don't know of any real development shop that's not. Integrated with right. it or even and even
1: if it's a development shop that sits behind, you know, government the government wall, right? Even in you know, again, even internally we use it um, And it's powerful and I and then the fact that the matter that I can then Log into a website that gives me a visual studio code like editor make a change do a commit push it and as long as I have internet connectivity I can make that change, and then there's other tools built into Git that allows you to like deploy code, uh, you know, um, remotely right. and stuff. And I think even Visual Studio Code allows you to do that. If you you can connect Visual Studio or Visual Studio Code to, at, in this instance, you'll probably connect it to Azure um, e- more easily. And yeah, you could like spin up a microservice. Like you can make it, you could spin it down, make a change, push it, you know, do a commit, a push, and then deploy it. This is This is uh, the one thing that has kept Chromebooks from being like the go-to device or even some of these surface tablets as being go-to devices for this type, or phones or tablets or anything becoming go-to devices for like any code editing is an inability to like really run a full IDE on your system. This allows you to not necessarily have to run a full IDE on whatever you're using. Um, I, I I mean, this is going to be crazy. It's, it does, it's funny not to kind of go too much on a tangent, right? But it's kind of what we were discussing with like, we work, right? Just like nothing, everything, nothing is fixed. You can be or do whatever you want. And as long as there's a meet space and an internet connection, if you're a knowledge worker, it doesn't matter anymore now. Right. And, and
0: well, the the only the only careful thing that you got to keep in mind, though, is there is a lot of client overhead on some of these um, web based front ends. Right. You know, so the, it's not I mean, most of the time it's very well managed and it's very well scaled. But sometimes the overhead is not trivial. Right. And it's um, you know, you have to you know, there, there's a there's a danger that. And we ran into it a while back. We we purchased some crazy piece of software that promised, oh yeah, we'll run on, you know, tablets. We'll run on computers. We'll run on your, your whatever. And it was bought without IT's um, influence or our knowledge. <laughs> and we were basically brought in at the tail end, saying, install this on all these computers. It's going to be great. All our salespeople are going to love it. Well, yeah, it required like screen resolutions that were insane. It required, um, and, and all of this stuff was, it, it was a client install, but at the same time, it was all web content driven, right? So, I love the concept. I, I think there's, uh, you know, there, there's a caution to be had that, you know, especially upper management who wants to implement these kinds of things, that they don't go into this thinking this is a end-all solution. There is still a you know, there's still some specs that need to be kind of vetted out a lot of times, but I love the, I love the idea. I love that, you know, number one, you don't have any licensing issues. Number two, you just basically log in and start doing your work, you know? Yeah. And, and it's, and and it's, um, it's transient too. This computer crashes. Okay, big deal. Get another one with the same specs. Boom, log in, and I'm up and running.
1: Yeah, most of the, most of that is a function of the fact that the code's pushed offsite, um, and, right? And its version, and the versioning it does is like, like nothing short of amazing. Uh, in your case, it really sounds like a really crappy design, thin client system. Oh, <laughs> it was it was horrible. I mean, it <laughs> was an extreme
0: example, and it's really not what we're. Yeah, you know, I, I'm kind of. Purposely right. taking it to an extreme and not comparing apples to oh, oranges. Oh, this is but, definitely
1: cautious, right? I mean, there's going to be a lot of people who are like, "Well, okay, I'm still going to I'm still going to spin up my IDE to do what I need to do um, because I, you know, a lot of people have scripts and and macros and all kinds of like tools and, of the trade that they like. And Visual Studio Code is not Visual Studio, right? Um, it, it, it's actually a lot of people, a lot of developers I know who use Visual Studio. They like Visual Studio Code because it is lightweight and easier, right? Because Visual Studio Code is very verbose, very complicated, extremely mm-hmm. hard to master. It takes you years to really get your environment the way you want it. Um, so, you know, the fact that they went with the Visual Studio Code editor as the front end for the web-based thing is much more function of the fact that, like, my brother-in-law, who's a, who is a Microsoft developer? Like, that's where he works in, Period. Only when he has to go into the office does he then log into Visual Studio and, and does what he needs to do. Right. Um, this stuff, I, 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 I guess I would agree with your caution to see how they implement Visual Studio Code, the editor, in the web-based thing. I haven't log. I wanted to log in this week and play around with it, um, but I was just too busy at work, and so I think I will take the time to go over there and. Install it and maybe maybe kind of manage some of my other kind of Python environments uh, that I have at work and use, of course, my local Git uh, GitLab uh, instance and see if they allow me to even do it on my enterprise. That's another thing, right? Like if I'm behind, if I'm within an enterprise that has its own kind of thing, they they allow me to do Visual Studio Code. They allow me to pull down packages. It's just I have to enter into proxy every time I enter that command to pull down, you know, packages. But I, I'd be curious to play around with it on the enterprise side to see if it works very well. Um, there's a live preview available now. So for those of uh, those of you who are listeners and who are kind of in the in the web development or code code development or software development world, give it a try and see what's up. Uh, on the bonus coverage side, because we have definitely beaten this to death, Uh, this topic to death is one of the other announcements was Azure Quantum, so as most of you know, I'm a quantum computing enthusiast, I don't know much, I know enough about it to talk somewhat eloquently about it, but um, I am not necessarily, uh, uh, you know, I'm not a physicist, Um, I'm not not really even a computer scientist, so I mean, I'm, I'm just a poser, but
0: you're, you're a nerd,
1: nerd but I'm, I'm, I'm generally just a nerd. So, uh, that announcement <laughs> happened at, uh, Ignite this, uh, this week. Um, I'll, do, I'll read from the, um, from the company copy on the website. Uh, Quantum Azure is a diverse set of quantum services ranging from pre-built solutions to software and qu- to software and quantum hardware. Uh, it's providing developers and customers access to some of the most competitive quantum offerings on the market. And for developers, we've created the open source quantum development toolkit, you know, which is basically, um, uh, Q sharp, um, uh, which has uh, all the tools and resources you need to start learning and building quantum solutions today. They have Azure has partners, uh, Azure's partners with industry leaders, uh, and to assemble and curate the most flexible and diverse set of quantum solutions available today, including hardware, software. Um, I think uh, the, the initial companies that are in this, Honeywell, which I was unaware even had a quantum computer. Um, that they're, they're offering access to their superconducting qubit, 49 qubit systems. I think they also have some 20 qubit systems. IonQ, which doesn't even have a system available yet. Um, they're a hardware play. QCI actually QCI makes makes a lot of the superconducting hardware that a lot of companies use, and one qubit, which is basically more of a software play. Um, Most of the systems that will be used uh, uh, via this Azure quantum service, which is basically a cloud layer between that interfaces the quantum computer hardware with you know good old fashioned PCs on the other side of the cloud. Uh, We'll use mostly these noisy intermediate scale quantum computers or NISQs. So, I mean, that that one kind of got me sort of excited, but I think they're just kind of piggybacking off the fact that, like, there's a lot of attention in the industry now that Google has kind of claimed quantum advantage Um, and then IBM then slapped back and then there's slap fights going on that we discussed last week. Um, Yeah. And so (laughs) they just want to kind of jump they just want to kind of jump on that. Um, hardware-wise, I mean, they kind of said, like, there's some new Surface tablets, um, you know, the Pro X, the Pro 7, and then a, a laptop. Um, some of these do, don't do use Intel. Some of them use um, AMD um, processors or, or ARM-based processors, I guess, based on Qualcomm, I think. Um, and um, the reviews that I've been reading – um, just kind of, you know, just glancing, right. Cause I don't care about really a lot of hardware performance because no offense, it doesn't matter what you buy. If you buy something today, um, it's still going to be by a factor of two more powerful than what you've probably bought in the previous years. It's going to at least get done what you need done. So, I mean, I'm definitely in the market for a new laptop and I'm all, I'm windows for life. So I'm never going to go back. And so, Uh, The Surface laptop looks promising. A 15-inch one would be excellent. A Surface Pro, Surface 7, eh, there's too many peripherals I'd need to buy, um, even though they they are pretty powerful machines. Um, But that's kind of rounds up all the kind of big announcements for McKnight. Um, just, just, just Just keep in mind, you know, again, Microsoft was hated, was hated, And now (laughs) they are beloved by the developer community. Uh, The tech press doesn't talk nearly as much crap about them as they do about Google or Facebook or Twitter. And the federal government has just awarded them a $10 billion, 10-year contract for providing platform-as-a-service and software-as-a-service solutions to the Department of Defense. Eerie, but it's it's almost a 180. It's almost like we live in an alternate universe. Oh, it's a it's
0: it's a total one hundred and eighty compared to the nineties, right? <laughs> yeah. This is a complete one hundred and eighty.
1: Yeah. So, like, so congratulations for Microsoft for once again uh, taking up the bulk of the podcast with our almost mm-hmm. sycophantic praise of just how. We're so proud. We're just proud of them. It's like, I'm like a happy father. I'm just proud. <laughs> right? because they're
0: do you have stock in Microsoft? Yeah. I'm just curious. <laughs>
1: I do. Cause actually okay. as a big tech company, they actually, I have a philosophy outside of my 401k. I typically invest in tech companies that pay dividends and they're not going to be high-flying tech startups or high-flying recent tech entrants. They're typically like Cisco Microsoft, like you know, companies that actually have been around a while and paid dividends. Microsoft is one of the companies that pays dividends. Um, there and you go. They've been and they've been a they've been a they've been a, a, a all star in my my little offline portfolio I do outside of my retirement account. So, um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. T- except yeah, take that with a grain of take all my praise on Microsoft with a grain of salt.
0: Uh, well, I don't. I do not have explicit Microsoft stock or any that I know of in my 401k. I'm sure there's some in there. So Yeah, there probably um, is
1: because they they're they're, they're, they're <laughs> are, they've been tearing it up over the last 5 years, so. Oh yeah. Okay, well, all right. Well, next story that we'll we'll give a little short shrift here, but like it's I I you know, we talked about kind of we've talked about off and on. This is a 5G story, and that is T-Mobile's big old announcement um a couple of days ago that they're going to go live with their 5G network on December 6th. Um, They're mainly going to rely on their 600 megahertz spectrum. Um, There will be some markets where they use their millimeter wave spectrum, but T-Mobile doesn't have nearly as much millimeter wave spectrum as some of the other carriers. This is on the heels of uh, the least final FCC approval of their merger with Sprint. Um, One would argue that once this is approved, because they're still having to fight with a couple of the more... (sighs) well, I I can't, anti-market states. I think New York uh, hasn't approved it. And California hasn't approved it. I think there are lawsuits that their uh, respective uh, attorney generals have filed because of this merger. Um, That said, they're still pushing forward with lighting up this, uh, at least the 600 megahertz spectrum uh, side of their 5G networks. Um, They say that they're going to um, cover nearly 200 million people or as Gary said in the pre-show, they're going to irradiate 200 million people <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> their the, the 5G networks. And this is a bold claim coming from them being that literally um, uh, by the time they actually light up this new uh, uh, spectrum, there are only going to really be two phones that are capable of utilizing that particular – that 5G and partic- in in that spectrum and only one of those phones is widely available. Um, I think it's the the Note 10 Plus or something like that. And then one's a one plus seven plus, um, McLaren. Um, but I'm going to go into a T-Mobile store here and find out if maybe I can get some sort of five G uh, hotspot thing. Yeah. You know, you remember you remember those? Yeah. Like you know, little pucks. Yep. Um, and see if, if maybe I can get a hold of one of those. And so when they light up, maybe play around with it a little bit. And. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm quite curious to, to see what this entails. Some of their other kind of announcements that they do, they're doing some, you know, to, to sow enough goodwill so that they can push, finally push the last laggards that aren't really down with this merger. And they maybe convince them that they're, uh, that they're, it's going to be good for them to merge with Sprint. Um, they're introducing a Connecting Heroes initiative. It's a 10-year commitment for free 5G access to first responders at every public and non, uh, non-profit, state and police, fire, or EMS uh, agency across the country. Uh, they're also going to do this one thing where they're um, doing the uh, 10 million, the uh, uh, project, I guess, uh, project 10 million. And they're going to in- commit $10 billion to build, uh, I guess, the I guess the to what is it what does that say to build to commitment to build to eradicate the homework what is the homework gap? Huh. Eh. Yeah that's that's sounds kind of, that just kind of touchy feely dumb stuff. Basically it just means they're gonna give free service to 10 million households. Um and I assume by access I mean either via the 5G network or the 4G network. I suspect it's the 4G network. Um which again, before anyone says boo, boo, it's the slowest network. No, 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 fools. 4G is still good. LTE Advance, still good technology. It's um, fast. You know, <laughs> it's fast enough to close the homework gap. Yeah. I use air quotes with that. I don't even know. Yeah. I mean, this is crap you have to do, I guess, to that. So, that so is your social bonafides that like our merger isn't going to crush the little little guy i, I, I can't stand companies do this because this is this is not really going to do anything um and also i guess they're going to do another prepaid um solution um that's kind of going to be the lowest price plan they have for 15 dollars a month you're going to get like eh, i think you're going to get what two gigs of data unlimited talk and text and stuff like that um so they're going to create these kind of lower uh lower cost plans for lower income consumers um but i mean there's not much to say about that it's just we have to wait and see until the sixth um um we have to see if yeah when they light up this network and then people go around and test it out how fast is it really going to be it's not going to be gigabit speeds because it's uh, one the frequency range you're in and two um i guess there's not just there's just not the chipsets available yet. I mean, there's just – the phones aren't really out. Um, And even if they are, like, their power envelopes are so terrible. I mean, you know, yeah, I was able to download, like, the entire content of Netflix in, like, an afternoon, but, like, my phone exploded (laughs) or it it ran out of juice.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, there's that. It's, it's, you know – like we talked about, uh, we, we, we've talked about this in previous episodes and also in the pregame here. It's like these, these numbers they throw out there are, you know, it, they know that the market listens to these numbers and these speeds, right? Which as we know, you know, the speed really isn't the relevant thing. It's the latency and the, the, the technology kind of uh, alleviates for us. But, you know, how, how much do you need? You know,
1: at, <laughs> at some yeah. point, well, I don't, need you know, I, <laughs> I'm a greedy, I'm a greedy one. I'm a greedy five percenter. I want it all, man. I, mean, I don't,
0: <laughs> I don't need, uh, you know, a thousand horsepower car to drive to the supermarket, you know, but
1: yeah, <laughs> I, this is true. Which is why, I, I mean, I like their 10 million initiative, but I think it's just, it's just going to re it's just going to utilize their 4g network. Which still has a lot of legs. Uh, let's let's not get that twisted, guys. The, the LTE advantage, which is kind of the last iteration of the LTE of LTE, that hasn't been fully deployed yet.
0: Good right? point. And
1: we're already starting to like slap out like you know these five G networks. Um, you can still get a hell of a lot of speed and low latency with LTE. It's not as low as five G, and that's again that's what makes five G in any frequency spectrum like advantageous is this very low latency and you 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 see that that's something visible um but yeah i mean you know I, I i'm looking forward to this i'm glad that this is happening this is one of the things i talked about in one of the early episodes of thank you for your servers where i was all my lonesome i want to see these things in the real world so we can start to see if they work how to make them work better and you know it doesn't matter what the theoretical limits in the simulation say get these devices in environments even the guys who uh, are in gals who feel that 5G will give us all cancer and murder us well let's see <laughs> let's, <laughs> i'm sorry like I, that, that's how we move forward on figuring out if this stuff is even worth right. it right um, even to the luddites of the world that want to do that want nothing to do with it let's get it deployed so we can see the negative implications or the positive implications? Sure, history has proven, in aggregate, this is a positive. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm gonna, like I said, I'm gonna, I might even stop by a T-Mobile store today and just be like, "Hey, you guys got some devices we can use that can utilize this 600 megahertz uh, 5G stuff?" And if so, like, all right, I'll buy it. Um, I'll buy it on the spot and and hook it up. And when we go live, um, you know, I'll I'll play with it. So. But good on T-Mobile. I hope this Sprint thing finally gets resolved, and that we can finally, and the battle will be joined, against these three players: Verizon, AT and T, and T-Mobile Sprint, to give us the network we deserve. Godspeed. All right. Well, maybe maybe last topic, maybe second to last topic. I don't know if you care about Google buying buying Fitbit um Uh, i don't know are you a user of fitbit i i I have a gear i have a gear i have a gear fit you know i don't i am in a
0: yeah i've got the gear as well and i i love it my wife's got the fitbit she doesn't really use it um sometimes she'll use it in the swimming pool to track laps or whatever but um yeah i wouldn't say that we're invested in the fitbit ecosystem
1: well, if you're invested in the Google ecosystem, the acquisition of Fitbit will inevitably uh, um, well, push it to integrate more with, uh, what is it, Android Wear? I don't even know. They've changed the name so many times of their of their smartwatch and or Wear OS. Oh, what is it? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. So it's Android, Android Wear, Wear. Now it's yeah. Wear OS. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's changed so many times. Um, so uh, uh, Google bought them for 2.1 billion. Um, I can tell you for a fact, um, at my company, Fitbit, it, Fitbits are handed out for yeah pretty uh, subsidized prices if you want one. But most people just have Apple watches or Gear Gear or Galaxy right. watches. Um, you know, the, um, the, you know it, it was it was a, it was a time where it was very tough. To co-sign the kind of handing out of the Fitbits or the allowing of Apple Watches and um, Galaxy Watches. But new corporate pro- uh, protocols that basically say, hey, just turn off all the uh, radios before you walk into these uh, protected areas. Now everyone has these things. Right. Um, and mainly their fitness, um, mainly outside of these areas. They're just, you know, the ability to send a text real quick. Um, I use it to track fitness uh, schedule, you know, when get, get schedules, or the big thing I use the watch for is when I walk away, if I walk too far away from my phone, it buzzes yeah. me. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, I use that too. <laughs> That's really the most useful thing. I know what, you for. know what I find
0: useful, you know, not to get on too much of the gear uh, praise, but okay. um, I really still appreciate the uh, Samsung Pay uh over Google Pay, Android Pay or Apple Pay because it uses that uh the technology that swipe. both of that none of the others have where
1: the ability to s- use a conventional uh terminal to swipe to simulate a swipe a magnetic Correct.
0: swipe. Yeah, that
1: That's what makes Yeah, and I I mean the only thing the only reason why I don't use that is because I I'm so integrated with Google Pay. Okay. But and I, I can't get both to work on the phone, uh, um, and so I I have been so and I've been so wanting to use Samsung Pay, and I may run it through its paces here um, this holiday season when I'm out and about. Do it on your
0: watch. Uh, do this, it on your watch. Just don't do it on your phone.
1: Yeah, it, uh, so I can do that. Now, that's the thing. I've not really played around with it. So if I could do it just on my watch, that would be. Phenomenal. I have I have gone <laughs> to so many
0: places and I go to, you know, I start doing my watch and they're like, oh, we don't take that. And I'm like, well, let me try. Boop. And then, of course, it just works. And they go, whoa, <laughs> what was that? I've never seen that before.
1: Yeah, that. It's still amazing. Yeah. So, maybe I should do that. I don't know. But I mean, you know, back to Fitbit, I guess, like, like, like you know, the, Fitbit apparently was struggling, um, particularly when Apple and Samsung stepped into the arena. And so, I mean, this was sort of a desperation move. Yeah, um, it might be good for Google to get more of this Fitbit expertise. Fitbit was the original kind of fitness tracker um, wearable, and I, 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 you know, people who in the early days kind of swore by it. Now everybody's, you know, either got a Galaxy or or an Apple Watch, um, and so yeah, I, I, I wish them the best of luck, but. Um, google's track record in the last 10 years of buying
0: companies not great um yeah.
1: <laughs> not great uh th- there's a be an article in the show notes about um from zdnat about fitbit is doomed <laughs> here's why everything google buys turns to garbage yeah
0: i think that <laughs> i think that may be a little premature That's, but
1: yeah right because nest isn't nest wasn't bad um it took them a while but now it's 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 coming around. I'm Um, invested
0: in the Nest ecosystem and it's it's been awkward, but you can tell that they're investing the time. They're investing the effort into making it right eventually.
1: Yeah. Same thing with Waze. Right. I mean, we had a discussion pre-show about it's starting. Google Maps is starting to integrate some of the features of Waze, though Waze is still, I guess, in my experience, is still slightly superior when you really want to know you really want a hard, a lot of hard context of what's going on around you in near real time as opposed to Google Maps. Yeah. Um and then uh, I think they had also put on here like DeepMind. Um DeepMind is not necessarily a bad acquisition. Um, it was always a moonshot. I think I we had read some articles about it losing tons of money and stuff, but in the grand scheme of Alphabet profits, um, it's really it's not a big hit. And it's actually the most cutting-edge research in the world, um, but I mean, they do actually point out some other notables. Uh, they bought HTC's uh, design division uh, to bolster its Pixel phone. One would argue that was a actually a good acquisition because Pixel phones are pretty damn good design-wise. They're
0: excellent um, phones.
1: And then, um, then the I guess the the granddaddy of them all is when they uh, bought um, Mo- Motorola Mobility. I owned. One of the Moto – I think it was a Moto, the first Moto X after the acquisition. It was a good phone. Um, you know, um, but yeah, they lost a lot of money on that. Yeah. <laughs> when they sold it to Lenovo later. Um, but I think they – what Google does is it just kind of sucks out what it wants from these acquisitions. And then eventually they allow these acquisitions to either wither on the vine or they become like integrated. So I don't honestly think – if, if I were to guess and if I were a betting man, I would say that this is good for Fitbit's remaining employees. I feel that that will help. This Fitbit acquisition will help them make the Android Wear or Wear OS or whatever the hell they want to call it now, bolster it a little bit and maybe we'll get a third player. Maybe we'll get some sort of Pixel Watch here in the future. Um, yeah, I could
0: see that. Who knows?
1: I could definitely see that, right? Excepting Google branded. I mean, Google's gotten a little better in the hardware space. They're still mainly a software services company, and they're damn good at yeah. that. Um, uh, and they're definitely pretty good at R&D as well, um, as as is the case b- between DeepMind and, you know, Google Quantum and and, and the uh, and the other kind of moonshot projects that are underneath the Alphabet name. Uh, particularly, oh, yeah, Waymo and stuff like that. So, yeah. So... They're good at that, but I mean, yeah. Let's uh let's pour a little out for Fitbit because I mean, as a company, it's done. I mean, it's it, you know, it's not for this world. Yep. And um, it was good. It started a craze. Then the play, big players came in and snuffed them out. But I don't hear social justice. You know, social justice uh tech writers. Um, lamenting too much. No,
0: I'm I'm waiting though. I, you know the pundits will come out and they'll you know oh well they're just you're going to use it to steal more of your information and blah blah blah. You know you you see that coming for sure.
1: These are, yeah these are the same guys that allow that like have iPhones. I know it's and like it's funny and and, and it's funny because they <laughs> I saw a commercial the other day where I uh, like Apple was saying like we protect your privacy and stuff like that like
0: yeah you do sort of. <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: It, and it's probably why Apple services are terrible. Did you read
0: so, the 37-page disclosure before you accepted to, you know, <laughs> sign on to the system? <laughs> and I'm betting you probably didn't, but whatever.
1: Mm, I'm going to bet no. All right. Um, I don't really – this last topic, I don't – we're kind of running up on the edge of this here. I don't really it, – it's basically this interview with the cloud f- – Flair CEO Matthew Prince on the struggles of policing triggered. the
0: web. I'm triggered.
1: Yeah. That's 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 the first thing I said. <laughs> the first thing I said is just like maybe you shouldn't be trying to. Right. Um <laughs> <laughs> So that basically just just another example of the fact that like web censorship is not just a government thing we need to worry about. That's but it's 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 it's, in, it's insidious in these companies that think they know better and it's ideological. Um if you don't remember, Cloudflare um, actually uh, was infamous in blocking Daily Stormer uh, or or removing denial service protections on the Daily Stormer. Um, other uh, uh, host providers literally erased them from um, the internet. Wow! Um, and that that these for everyone who says that. If you guys don't like the way or the policies of these tech companies, these host providers, if you don't like it, you can always go somewhere else or build your own. Well, you, 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 sometimes you can't. Um, I will harken back to a Gab, yep. which is the alt right alternative to Twitter, which is it's, not. Really no, a no, it's, it. like, uh, it's um, like the Pepe of
0: it's,
1: the. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's mild. Um, but um, they were going, or they have, or were threatened with losing access. They were hosting their uh, service on Azure, and Microsoft says, "Hey, we there's some problematic content on here. We may eliminate uh, your our support contract, right. i.e., we will." Some, so first of all, the question is, how do they even know what content was on their Azure instances? Which means your information may not be as private as you think. Keep that in mind when you're deploying these hybrid clouds. Point. Um Also, like, what does it matter, right? They're paying, if they're paying every month, I and mean, they're just hosting, you're just hosting their content in, in, in load, load load balancing and stuff like I mean, to me, that was kind of the more insidious thing about this whole, when they were doing, you know, particularly after Charlottesville, and they were just kind of stomping on these platforms that were built on other platforms, that are absolutely ideological and or bending to pressure from outside groups. Um, Oliver Darcy, I hate that guy. I want There's nothing more I want to do to violate the NAP than to see that guy on the street corner and take it to the streets. Mm-hmm. He's always, always snitching on these platforms uh, about their problematic hosting of certain content. And to think that that guy used to work for the Blaze. Glenn Beck should be ashamed of himself for ever ever hiring that guy. Um, He's now on CNN being the resident snitch about anything problematic on these tech platforms. Um, He was one very instrumental in getting Alex Jones removed from Twitter um, and a host of other things. Um, There are a lot of these guys in the press, you know, and I'm just, this is just kind of piggybacking off of, uh, you know, this interview with the CEO of Cloudflare. There are a lot of people in the press that are put pressure on tech companies to remove what they feel is problematic content that is absolutely antithetical to free speech. And it's, again, insidious and ideological, and it's frightening.
0: But they're a private company. (laughs) They can do what they want.
1: (laughs) And my retort to that is always – Yes, but I can still bitch about it and tell them that they're they're wrong and and, and not that what they're doing is evil. <laughs> yeah, and
0: and choose not to uh, buy from them or whatever. You know, I mean, it's hard sometimes, yeah. but yeah,
1: yeah. We should we could we could do an entire episode on how terrible this 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 precedent is. Um, but I mean, we when we've talked about it before, from the Project Veritas leaks to. The algorithmic unfairness, you know, trying to implement algorithmic fairness. And we've seen the things that came from Project Veritas and even from other sources that have dumped this stuff out. And so we know where they ideologically stand. Right. And we know what pr- the pressure that can be brought to bear on these tech companies mainly come from the ideological left. Um, they completely ignore anything that comes from the ideological right. And they, they are much more willing to do the bidding of their who they are ideologically sympathetic with, right? Right. And so that's, that's just the world we live in, right? Like Twitter, all right, we're going to ban political ads. What type of political ads? How's that going to be implemented? What do you mean? And, you know, the pressure that's being brought to bear because Facebook won't ban political ads, even if the political ads are false. It's just like, yes, because that's free speech. And one man's conspiracy theory, as I have learned in my lifetime, a conspiracy theory now, i.e., CIA trafficking drugs into the African American community, which was a conspiracy theory in in its naked hyper you know hyperbolic form, well, come to find out, it, it was only fifty percent true, but the other fifty percent was still pretty insidious, and that the uh, the social networks and media of that time said, "Ah, oh, CIA denies it," so yeah, yeah, we believe the CIA,
0: <laughs> right. right. The CIA would never (laughs) lie to us get
1: out, right? (laughs) Oh, no, no, the CIA has never lied. I mean, absolutely They're 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 patriots, right? Right. Yeah, but don't get me started. Yeah, yeah, I won't (laughs) So ladies and gentlemen, we need to, you know, we're coming to the end of the show So we need to pour a little out for the cryptocurrency minute. This will be the last cryptocurrency minute Um, We are retiring the segment uh, the cryptocurrency minute was actually supposed to be more along the lines of um, news in the cryptocurrency arena, and it may morph into that in the future. But actually, giving real time prices, eh, kind of weird, right? Because it's these these podcasts and these price these prices are are fairly ephemeral nature nature they pass. Um, so you know. When you guys are listening to this, the price could have fluctuated by tens of percentages. Um, and so we were just like, uh, we talked with our producer, Ryan. He's just like, yeah, yeah, I think we can. I think we can let that go. I think we can let it go now. So with no further ado, the last Cryptocurrency Minute brought to you by Coinbase. Boo. Ah. <laughs> yes. All right. He's uh, <laughs> starting with light. At least we don't have to hear about six- that
0: thing anymore. <laughs>
1: God forbid, I mean, don't you don't you Binance, bro? <laughs> yeah. Uh so yeah, uh, uh Litecoin LTC is at $60.95 up 1.63%. Bitcoin Cash BCH is at 281.30, that is up 1.58%. Ripple or XRP is 20 at 28 cents. It is up 1.38. Ethereum, a, a cryptocurrency I own, uh, full disclosure here, uh, that's ETH. And that is at $184.37, up 0.15. And the granddaddy of them all, Bitcoin BTC is its symbol. And it is at eighty-seven seventy-three fifty-one, down 0.45%. Or almost a half a percent. So that is the final cryptocurrency minute brought to you by Coinbase. All right. Parting thoughts, man. Now that we've had a a jam-packed show. I think
0: we've knocked this one down Um, pretty good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We did pretty well. We did pretty well. So anyway, that has been it, ladies and gents. Thank you for logging on to Thank You For your Servers. I am at Nick Way and Gary. I am
0: at Liberty and Brews.
1: Sweet. And uh, keep following the Make Liberty Great Again podcast uh, podcast network on Twitter. We are working on some Instagram stuff in the future, you know, because all the kids are in, on the Instagram. But, you know, no promises. But uh, with that said, we're out.